Welcome to the Replay Value Podcast, where we deep dive into the movies we all love to watch over and over again. I'm Phil, joined by my brother from the same mother, our co-host on the West Coast, Warren. What's up, bro? In this episode, we're going to talk about the fantasy comedy classic, Big. wonderfully versatile Tom Hanks stars as Josh Baskin, a 12-year-old boy who makes a wish on a carnival wishing machine. His wish is to be big, and to his amazement, wakes up the next morning with the body of a 30-year-old. Confused and frightened at being thrust into the adult world, Josh, with the aid of his best pal, runs away to New York, where by sheer luck he lands a job in a toy company. There, he discovers the advantages of being big, freedom, money, unlimited toys, and junk food. But he's not prepared for what happens when he attracts the attention of a sexy co-worker, chic, ambitious, and predatory Susan Lawrence. Josh is torn between the freedom of being an adult with a 12-year-old brain and the love and security of his home life. Big is great entertainment. It is often touching, but always big on laughs. <laughs> big is, I mean, one of my favorite childhood films uh, growing up i who doesn't want to to be in tom hanks's shoes in, in this film i mean you got a cool job cool apartment i mean you don't want to work but if you can if you're going to work it might as well be at a toy company you know testing out toys so i mean a lot of appeal uh that this movie brought uh that uh, would attract not only adults wanting to reminisce about that but i think also kids too who 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 especially aspire you love the the, the, the cool idea of yeah it all. A, a kid who's better at being an adult than most adults <laughs> <laughs> right. jesus christ ridiculous uh no i mean i love this movie it's a classic of our childhood um it's just one of those we watched over and over again uh when you're of a certain age there's certain movies at a certain window you're going to just watch over and over again whether it's for a summer or for like a six-month period or maybe it's a couple weeks uh, maybe you watched it 20 times, maybe you watch it 10 times, 5 times, 15, whatever. Uh, maybe it's like a Back to the Future where you watch it, you know, like 50. But, uh, you know, it, it's one of these movies for us where we just saw it over and over again. I didn't, we didn't see it in the theater. For me, I feel like our dad showed it to us on VHS. If you, I feel like that's how we saw this. Yeah, uh, most definitely, yeah. We were not old enough to see it in the theaters. It was... Uh yeah, it's it's got such a simple title, so simple it almost draws you in, and then you're like, oh shit, Tom Hanks. And by the time we discovered Big, you know, we Tom Hanks was a well established star for us. We knew who he was. So, yeah, you, you see the actor, the concept. I mean, again, the simple title does a lot. Big, it draws you in, and I would say there's a short list of people that have seen this movie once and only once. I think most people have revisited this film several times yeah, it's a feel good it's like soul food movie it's a feel good movie uh it's it's kind of my pixar uh for you know for us growing up um i would say it was one of those um stay at home from school daytime movies i feel like it was mm. always a movie it was a, it always enjoyed watching during the day just kind of helped the day go by get, gave it a good uh, uh a good uh energy you know he just give, he puts you in a good mood yeah uh, funny you said the Pixar thing because, of course, Tom Hanks is the voice of, of Woody in Toy Story. But uh, I was watching this with uh, my son, and 
the first time Tom Hanks is on camera and big, he says he says just like a couple sentences, and Reed just looks up. He's like, "Hey, that's that's Woody from Toy Story." <laughs> just instantly you knew that, it uh, just from his voice. Yeah, just from his voice. It's so you know he's so well known for that. But yeah, uh, all right. So let's get into it. Uh, who made Big? How did it get made? Uh, distributed by 20th Century Fox, um, Above the Line, produced by James L. Brooks, Simpsons. Simpsons, yeah. Okay. And uh, Robert Greenhut, uh, written by Gary Ross and Ann Spielberg, and directed by Penny Marshall. So I want to pause you there and say that you hear Ann Spielberg. Oh, well, that name sounds familiar. Spielberg. I was going to get to that. Okay. All right. Go ahead. We're just kind of, we're just kind of, you know, going through the the, the the above the line credits here, but yeah, well, you already brought it up, so we got to address it now. But Ann Spielberg is, of course, related to Steven Spielberg, his younger sister. Yeah, younger sister. Yeah. Uh, and um, Steven Spielberg actually almost ended up directing this movie, the, the unofficial uh, uh, eighth Spielberg movie we've covered on the podcast. Yeah, with <laughs> Harrison Ford in the Josh role, no doubt. So just yeah, I mean, right. Yeah, uh, but he ended up stepping away because of the birth of his son. So at that point. Penny Marshall uh, stepped into direct. Whose rise to fame up to this point was she was a beloved TV star from Laverne and Shirley, and she goes from a beloved TV star to an A-list director. This was her second feature film, and this is what legitimized her as a director. Um, it really it, it gave her the career she ended up having, I believe, and, and she made so many good movies. I mean, this is the second Penny Marshall movie we're covering on the pod. The first being A League of Their Own, yeah. Yep. Now, we would normally do top five. Penny Marshall only directed eight films, which is bullshit. I don't know if that was a choice, but certainly uh, it's a shame we didn't get more from her. Uh, she's such a great director. Gave us so many good movies. I don't know if that's because studios didn't greenlight her pictures or because she. some directors um, you know, take a lot of time between films. So who am I to say the reason for that? I just wish we had more Penny Marshall movies to watch. Great. Uh, yeah. So uh, we normally rank top five. She directed eight. So we'll do top three. Uh, top three Penny Marshall movies, rank them. Which top three? Well, I think the top two, given the films we've covered on the podcast, are just kind of which order do you put them in? Um, so for me, number three uh, is going to be Awakenings with Robert De Niro and Robin Williams. I feel like that is an underrated uh, drama film. It didn't get enough credit, but it didn't was get well, a, it, like, I don't feel like it, it was well received when it came out. Yeah, it was well received, but I got nominations. Yeah, no, it, it, it did. It's just like it, it did get Academy Award nominations uh, for you actually for uh, for Best Picture. But I feel like in the in the zeitgeist, I don't feel like people look back. I don't feel like people don't give that film enough credit in, in like in this in historical pop cultural sense. Like you don't go back and, and watch it again and again. And, and you should. It's a, it's a it's it's a very good drama film. Great actors. Great director. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then number two, I would say, is going to be big I, I do feel like personally i've seen uh, a league of their own more than i have big so i would have to put well, it's that not even the one you've seen the most i love a league of their own that's the one i just that has a special place in our heart that's awesome yeah. we watched a lot as kids but uh i think we related with a sibling relationship uh and also we played baseball together growing up so that mm -hmm. movie just meant a lot to us um so yeah th that's also you uh, my top three is identical to yours which big surprise Usually we'd have them switch, mix but them in up this a little case, bit. We, we yeah, line up. We, we matched up. Uh, my yeah. number four would be Preacher's Wife. I fucking love that movie. Oh, uh, it's a good film. Yeah, yeah. I feel like you know she's like she's had her fingers in other a lot of other films, but when you look at like directing, which one she directed, and 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 a few of those we mentioned, she was also executive producer on as well. So, um, I mean, just a 
uh, just a powerhouse in the film industry. Unfortunately, we lost her too soon. She passed away, I think, in 2018. Some honorable mentions on the crew. Uh, the DP, uh, director of photography, was none other than Barry Sonnefeld. <laughs> oh, wow. I didn't know that. Um, interesting thing about this movie, you know, big. Now we look back on it, it's on, it's on a platform of its own. And of course, you, the, the genre of like the age swap, body swap, it, it's kind of a, again, it's like a subgenre of its own in the film industry. Uh, but at the time, it wasn't it wasn't as huge as it, it wasn't as I guess a, a common trope as it is now. Uh, but what I found interesting is that big kind of helped make it a common trope. <laughs> it, kinda, it, oh, kinda, of course, the success legitimized the genre. Yeah, but but it was actually five of these types of movies were all released within one year of each other. Starting in October 1987, you had like like father like son. Uh, then you had uh, De Grande. Uh, which was an Italian film. Now, Warren, I will ask you this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you a, a quiz. Are you ready? Yeah, you go. De Grande. If you if you hearing what 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 does that mean in English? Can you translate that for me? De I have no idea, but I know that Italian film you're talking about. I think that's just a coincidence. Um, I don't think that film. No, no, I, I, I know because it came out and like this movie was in development. Big was in development for four years. So I mean, Gary Ross and Aaron Spielberg wrote. Came up with this idea in '84. So when I read De Grande, I thought it would translate to "big" or "the big," but it actually translates to "when I grow up." So yeah, but I, I agree with you though. It would by the time it came out, you know, "big" would have been in already in production, script, and everything. So the third film was vice versa. Then eighteen again. Big was actually the fifth of of those films to come out. So it was actually the last one to come out. Uh, and like, I think I'd read somewhere that Tom Hanks and Elizabeth Perkins, they had seen, heard about all these other films came out. So you're like, yeah, this is going to be straight to video. They were joking, thinking it wasn't going to be successful, but yeah, you know, how wrong they were. So even though this movie came out last, this movie was greenlit first. It was in development first. Gary Ross uh, was uh, got the idea during lunch one day uh, sometime in 1984, and the idea came to him, what if a kid's dream to be bigger, bigger actually happened? Because every kid at some point wants to be old enough to drive, wants to be old enough to be able to, you know, smoke or, you know, drink or, you know, do right. something only adults can do. Uh, and it doesn't have to be something that, bad, quote, bad. I mean, it can be other things, you know. Uh, you know even when you're uh, an adult, you want to be 25 so you can rent a car. I mean, Well, what it is, it's freedom. Team. It's freedom yeah. to be able it's to do It's just to do what yeah. you want. So it's a very relatable idea, you know, every that every kid at some point has wanted to to do is to to be older be to be big those other films that i named they were more body swaps like like father like son vice versa it was about two people switching or kind of like change up with uh um reynolds and bateman right so yeah P penny marsh actually said that she read those two films that i just mentioned she read the scripts for them but proceeded with big because she felt it was different enough to where it would be okay i mean because I know that's talk about an age swap thing or an age jump thing, but it's not a body swap. It's just the circumstances are, are, are slightly different. He's the this, same person. He's just older. Right. Exactly. What's fun, man. Uh, so Barry Sonnefeld was the DP. Gary Ross was a co-screenwriter with Ian Spielberg. Both Gary Ross and Barry Sonnefeld would be 
prolific film directors in their own right. Gary Ross directed Hunger Games with Jennifer Lawrence, and Barry right. Sonnenfeld directed Men in Black with Will Smith and uh, Tommy Lee Jones, and a bunch. Of, and they both d- have done a bunch of other stuff. I'm not trying to a minimize. Films, yeah. I'm just saying, but they've they've done some big hits though. Both of them being directors uh, of their own. Yeah, I think yeah, that just goes to show whenever you have talented, good people making your films, uh, even in you know in this this type of film, they were, may not have been directing. But they they brought their talent. They 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 helped up the level of, of the quality of, of work that was put out. Yeah, and the quality. It's amazing how quickly that they came up with most of the film. Uh, Ann Spielberg and Gary Ross said that their first brainstorming session, they came up with seventy percent of the movie, most of its structure in the first two hours of brainstorming. Oh wow! So it was one of those rare things. It's like you know where you hear a, you hear a story of a band writing a, a great song where it just kind of came to them and they wrote it really quick uh, quickly, uh, and that, that was the case with Big. I mean, it is a very linear story as far as following Josh. You don't have many offshoot storylines, much development with the other characters. It's it's Josh Baskin and what he's going through. So I, I, I can see that. It's, uh, again, very linear. Production, uh, filming started August 10th, 1987, after three years of development. Wow. Uh, you know, it's, it's not the easiest story. You want to make sure you stick the landing on everything. And fuck, man, it's really hard to make a good movie. And Big is a really good fucking movie. They just, every scene... Uh, has serves its purpose. It's well executed, and it, there's no fat on this movie. I mean, that's why it has you know. It's it's just you're in and you're out. But uh, Cliffside, they, they shot mostly in Cliffside, New Jersey. Uh, shot the opening scenes first, uh, and actually, I saw I read where um, they had uh, the young actor that played Josh Baskin do all of Tom Hanks scenes for him, and so Tom Hanks could study how a child would play it, and then he applied that to his own performance or uh, integrated it. Yeah, uh, David Moscow, he, uh, Penny Marshall would tape him doing all the adult scenes uh, so that yeah, Hanks could go back and study them, which is, I don't know if that was a, a choice by Hanks request that or if it was a choice by Marshall, but whoever it thought of that. It could have been. I was, yeah, it was a great call, and I think Hanks was going to do that later with Forrest Gump, uh, studying the young actor that played him and, and, and using the Southern accent in his uh, Forrest Gump voice. Yeah, whatever you can do, and, and a, a lot of the great actors will do that, You know, whether it be... If it's a biopic, um, to, to talk to the real person, study their man- mannerisms and whatever you can do to to inhabit the role. So not only all that, Tom Hanks and Robert Loggia spent four months prepping the piano scene. Now, they shot it for, what, a couple of weeks, but they, they spent four months like rehearsing it, practicing it, and getting the dance down. Which, when you watch it, knowing that it is impressive that they nail it the way they did and and I, I recall reading where they showed up on set and there was like stunt actors there prepared to do it and hanks and Lowe's if they were like, couldn't do it yeah if they couldn't do it and uh kind of what i read for um for la la land uh you know ron gosling learned all the intricate piano parts he couldn't play piano he and he he had a teacher just to teach him what he needed to know for the film but they still had someone on set in case he couldn't do it he ended up doing it much in the same way that loja and hanks did for this film uh, funny that both were related to to piano playing in some capacity, but and so after all that, they wrapped uh, October 29th, nineteen eighty seven. After two and a half months of filming, so uh, it, it's a pretty efficient shoot. I mean, to get a feature film banged out that quick under ninety days, yeah, not bad. Um, now uh, earlier you mentioned the walking piano and the the training and the choreography for that. That is now the big piano. It is the the big piano is what it's known by now of course uh it's you know iconic uh i do want to ask you though warren and uh you know 
if being though there's this many toys and items and everything in the film, I want you to to channel the inner child in you. Shouldn't be too hard. Um, and tell me what if there was one toy or one item that you saw in the film that you could a own. toy? I want. I just can I have his apartment? I want. You that see, apartment. you always I'll go big like this. Like, I want to go I, real estate, man. I got in casino. Thinking, you wanted you wanted Rothstein's, Rothstein's house. whole house. Now you want with the, apartment. the wardrobe. Uh, you, you know what? You can take all the toys out. I'm such a nice guy. Give me the apartment. Oh, okay. You get to take all the toys. You can pick all of them. I'll just take the apartment. Leave the fucking soda machine, though. I want the soda machine. It's almost as if like good real estate in Los Angeles is hard to come by, Warren. I, I really, I, you know, I, I don't. That apartment is a dream. I don't care where you live. That apartment is fucking amazing. It's pretty rad. Has. Yeah, it's very good. Very cool. But the, I mean, so the one toy. Okay, so not to shit can your question. So the one toy. I don't want to put it. I would say the one that's memorable to me, and I really like uh, the landscape and city. I'm going to go with the building toy. I I don't get it. Which is the worst toy in the movie, but I like it. <laughs> I just put it on the desk, oh and it would just God. be like the Eiffel Tower. On I would never play with it. It would just Holy be the Eiffel Tower. Shit. On. It would just wow, be a model. Are, it would be a model of the Eiffel Tower on my desk. I would never actually Paul. play with it. You, you are Paul. Warren. Yeah, I, it's like, yeah, I, I empathize I, with the guy. I don't get it, of course, just like just like Josh did, but I cannot believe you seriously would say it. You're missing the boat here, Warren. Okay, because I don't I don't remember any of the other toys, so I'm just going with the building. Huge, huge opportunity here that you, you just passed up, Warren. You gotta you gotta if you could have one thing, it'd be the piano. No, the Zoltar speaks machine, the the, the one from the movie. That way, you get a real wish. Come on. Well, so, well, we're using. I, you didn't tell me we're in the ah. big world, okay? If it, if it gives uh, wishes, I mean, come on, that's uh, well, that's a game changer. But I'm I'm operating in a reality <laughs> where there is no fucking wish, and this is a movie. So I'm thinking, give me the real estate. Yeah, well, in reality, you ain't get that. You ain't getting that apartment. Um, but you know, <laughs> reality, I want that apartment. Uh, well, just. You know, talking about things in the movie, that piano did not exist. There was one in F.E.O. Schwartz that was um, six and a half feet long. That was just one octave. Uh, for the film, they created one that was 16 feet long so that they could shoot that 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 scene there. However, later that it became so popular and iconic from the film, they would eventually put one on the market that it was a replica of the one from Big. Sold for $15,000 when it came out. So um, not too many I'm people sure have you that. Could still order it probably. Yeah, I mean, but like you know, you go to, I mean, even a lot of like um, you know, we went to a Wonderworks uh, down in Florida a couple of weeks ago, and they have the walking piano there. It's just the everybody just knows it's the big piano, but like it's just so iconic because of that. You, you can't walk by it without hitting a key. Oh no, yeah, you absolutely you can't. can't. Hit a key. You can't do a power slide and do you know, you kind of do a run down, but. That's, go down the scale but uh, it's still fun we'll move on to the stars of the picture all right mr demille i'm ready for my close-up starring tom hanks elizabeth perkins robert loja john hurd jared rushton john lovitz and mercedes rule who has made a career playing moms after this i mean holy shit i mean she she fucking has played moms for like 25 30 years after this maybe she was vinnie chase's mom in entourage i mean essentially yep. playing the same character <laughs> yeah um uh, did marry to the mob after this ended up winning an, uh, an oscar for uh best supporting actress in 1991's the fisher king so wow. yeah i mean yeah great career hell of a career all right casting what ifs don't want to step on your turf but i gotta mention a couple because some of my favorite actors of the time robert de niro 
Yeah. That would have been yeah, interesting. Yeah, I saw that. Different movie yeah. with De Niro. Was he going to be a fucking gangster in New York? Uh, <laughs> Thomas where was he, I, I mean, he could do it. Hey, De Niro. Are you going to be on. a cop, you know, like Midnight Run? Um, but you're not going to be worried about De Niro in New York like you heard Tom Hanks' is bad. <laughs> Remember that night in the hotel room when he's scared? Yeah, it's not going to happen. Have, yeah. You're not going to have that scene with De Niro. Um, <laughs> and then one of my favorite, uh, another favorite movie star of the time, and she was a Big, big star, Deborah Winger. Uh, so I had to mention those two. She almost did it too. Well, I see. I saw the Deborah Winger thing and I read into that. And, I, and what I, the best, most that I saw was that uh, she wanted Penny Marshall, they were friends, and she had asked Marshall to change the main, the Josh character to a female role uh, and, and kind of do it that way. But Marsha was hesitant to do that because you know you have a well. Of course, Deborah Winger wanted that because fuck it. Uh, yeah, that's the, that's the showcase role. But then you have a you know, underage girl being seduced by an older man. It's very problematic. Uh, yeah, which, yeah. yeah it, it's already it, problematic it, with Hanks as it is. So, it, exactly. Yeah, so see, it's yeah. a very you see you got to be careful. Penny Marshall made absolutely made the right call there. Of course, Hanks got the role. Not the first choice though. Some other what ifs: uh, Kevin Costner, Warren Beatty, Steve Gutenberg, Dennis Quaid. Albert Brooks, all were offered the role and turned it down. Uh, John Travolta, Sean Penn, and Gary Busey wanted it, but were you know, Penny Marshall said no for, for various reasons. Uh, and then, of course, I'd say the biggest one that we missed out on uh, was De Niro, which you, which you mentioned. <sighs> different movie. Could have been very different, yeah. Different movie. All right, actors about Rushmore. Uh, so they're, they're top four films. Um Robert Loja, I'm going to say yes. Uh, big uh, Independence Day, Scarface, uh, those three for me. So if it's my Mount Rushmore, I'm throwing innocent blood in there, okay? Oh, God. Uh, as the uh, the fourth one. It's, uh, it came out in the early 90s, but it plays up, uh, ends up <laughs> becoming a vampire. I fucking love that movie. It has a high oh, replay geez. value for me. It's one of those shitty movies you love. Uh, I love it. Um, I've seen that movie one time, maybe maybe, maybe once, maybe like half of it. So, I shouldn't yeah. say it's shitty. I don't think it's all that bad. <laughs> Uh, in a good way, in a good like B level, no, yeah, a bad just, movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, that you love that you love to. Yeah, uh, John Hurd. Uh, so yes, uh, big. I'd say well, Home Alone's number one. Peter McAllister is yeah. That's yeah, the Peter McAllister. The, the, the right. Yeah. What he's known but, for. Uh, Home yeah. Alone, big. And see, the thing is, Home Alone has that cultural relevance because of the holidays. So people watch that movie every year. So it's like he is just, it's like it's in some way kind of like uh, Jimmy Stewart. He's going to live on in some way forever. Which is great because I love seeing him as like the dad that you, you, you know, that's very of a much of a family man and that and then in this film he's a complete asshole. I mean, Pe- I mean Peter and the Paul characters couldn't be couldn't be different. I think they're the same. I think that's Peter McAllister when he's at work. That's how he, <laughs> oh, no. he's so successful. That's how he's got that house and everything. That, that's that's pretty um, funny actually. But uh, I think it just speaks to you know the John Hurd was a just a wonderful actor again. Passed away too soon yeah man he was said so much good stuff uh well he's a he was a lawyer in sopranos and that was like a recurring character he was like tony soprano's lawyer for like multiple seasons he he had the range to do to do it all i mean he, yeah the lawyer family man you know asshole businessman everything elizabeth perkins uh come on i'd say i'd say yes uh big uh about last night yeah. I mean, weeds is probably i know it's just, for yeah. for film yeah definitely mount rushmore yeah yeah for film uh, about last night big uh, for sure on there um i'd say no i mean you could almost argue big has a legitimate claim on the hanks's rushmore 
But yeah. ultimately, Hanks has just done too much. Uh, yeah. It is the movie that launched him. Hanks is kind of uh, his top gun of like that launched him into the career he ultimately ended up having, making the transition from comedy to drama. This was like the perfect role to do that. Because uh, he this got movie both. Was the yeah. start of that. Sure. I would say, well, I'd say this and A League of Their Own was really the transition. A League of Their Own is the first time he played a real person. So those two movies were marks the transition of, of, of different levels for, for his career. Um, but I say ultimately, Tom Hanks is Mount Rushmore for me. Forrest Gump, Saving Private Ryan, Castaway, Apollo 13, maybe? Just because of he's, you know, this historical uh, relevance he's had as a movie star playing all these American, uh, you know, characters in, in history. Yeah, I mean, you'd almost put Woody from Toy Story in there as well, which. Oh, yeah, no, you're. Ah, Toy Story, no, you're right. Toy Story has to be in there. It has to be. So, okay, bump Apollo, it's Toy Story. And Castaway is just an achievement, man. How yeah, do you not really have that in you there? Have to That's have a that. movie where you're by yourself with a fucking soccer ball and it's riveting. Yeah, and you have to have, of course, Saving Private Ryan. So those are locks and then Woody. It's I think that the fourth Gump's, spot. Gump's got to be in there. And Gump's got to be in there. So, I mean, there's your four right there. So you can't, you did big just as a limit, just kind of process of elimination. But, I mean, it would probably be fifth or sixth. But I, I will segue you into biggest benefactor uh, from this film. And for me, it is Tom Hanks. Because, as you mentioned, his. Oh, absolutely. And, and it's just what I just said before. The transition from what he'd been as a comedic actor into a legitimate uh, 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 actor with serious range and being able to carry a film. And that's what this ultimately proved. It was his first Oscar nomination. Uh, he needed a hit. Uh, he'd had some duds, uh, some strikeouts. Uh, this was the movie that, that really kind of helped prove his place uh, in movies and, and that he had some box office pull. And this role bumped him to another level, though. So he is the biggest benefactor. I mean, it, it, it put him on the path to the great actor that he would become. Yeah, I mean, Splash is where he kind of made his splash, so to speak, in, in 84. He had had one film, uh, a cameo prior to that, but that was the the first, you know, big role. But, you know, kind of like what you had said, some, you know, some, some memorable ones after, like Bachelor Party, The Money Pit, but big is where, you know, again, tongue-in-cheek, he got big and his career took off, so... Okay. Uh, I'm sorry. I just have to apologize. Yeah. For, uh, for don't, don't quit your day job. Jesus Christ. Uh, <laughs> I can stand up comedian over here. Um, man, hey, look, this is a very challenging part to play, though. I'm not surprised De Niro looked at it because this is a role back then that De Niro would, would want to take on. I mean, this is this is the kind of role that Sean Penn would take on in the late 90s, early 2000s, like the I Am Sam role. These are these challenging roles that are that attract great actors because they want to prove they can do it. Mm. Uh, underutilized, man, um, I'm going to go John Lovitz, okay? I can always go ah, yeah. for some more John Lovitz, okay? He's only in a couple scenes. I think uh, Penny Marshall used them to greater comedic effect in uh, League of Their Own. I think they had some more memorable yeah. scenes in that movie. Uh, but we need more John Lovitz. Yeah. So a little backstory there. John Lovitz was originally going to have more screen time. He was friends with Penny Marshall. When he was on SNL, she came and visited, and, and they, they befriended each other as well. Um, so he, in, in this film, was originally going to have more screen time, but he had to leave shooting due to a bad case of the flu. And he was just like, ah, it's a nothing role. I'm not going back. Because uh, he was, instead of calling Penny Marshall to say, hey, I want to come back and finish the film, he's just like, ah, it's it's nothing. 
And he says he's, he was an idiot for doing that, of course. Um, yeah, so, I'd say so. Funny you mentioned the underutilization, um, because I would agree with you. It's it's perfect, and you're exactly dead on because he was supposed to have have more screen time as it is. I did not know that, so that I feel uh, pretty uh, feel like my I'm right on there. No, absolutely. Another one I would say, maybe not underutilized, but just great to see in this film is Deborah Joe Rupp. Uh, you know, probably uh, best known for playing uh, Kitty in um, in that '70s show. She was Mrs. Patterson. The, the administrative assistant to Josh in, in this film. Uh, what was cool seeing her in just, just a few scenes that she had. All right, Warren, I got to ask, though, who's your MVP? It should be, yeah, I, think, I feel like I know who it is, though. Uh, dude, it's Tom Hanks. Who else could it be? Yeah, it uh, he gives the most valuable performance. Um, he superbly convinces us he is a kid in an adult body. I don't, I mean, it is, every, you believe everything he does. Uh, he's so convincing in, in, in all the scenes. And the improv he does is just so in tune with the character and the circumstance. And that is really what's extraordinary to me is how connected as an actor he is to his circumstance. He fully commits. It allows him to display his comic talent. But he just reacts truthfully. And that is where the talent really lies is how he acts like a kid. Like, you know, he's in the the limo playing with all the buttons. Or when he's fighting with Paul, he's got the tennis ball and he's putting one arm into the other arm and running around. And I mean, that's that's what kids do. And the fact that he had that kind of informed performance, you you can tell he did his homework. And uh, it just makes the movie a complete joy to watch. And he, he rose to the challenge as an actor. This is like... It's not playing Hamlet, but it's pretty fucking close, okay? I mean, that is... uh, Fantasy circumstances are very hard to relate to as an actor and to to connect to it truthfully, and he fucking did it, man. The enthusiasm, the charm, the childlike ad-libs and improv, he, he he does it all. So there's a big difference between an adult pretending to be a child and a child that's pretending to be an adult. Hanks captured the latter because you feel like it is a ch- an actual the mind of a child that is pretending to be a grown up. Uh, but those the, the 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 subconscious level of things that make you the child uh, and those mannerisms uh, and the thought process uh, that all goes back to uh, to the brilliance of Hanks' performance because it, we could very easily have turned into again uh, just a grown up you know pretending like they're a kid on screen and they wouldn't have sold Oh, a lesser actor, this is yeah. a bomb. Yeah, a le- exactly. No, this is a bomb. No, oh. no, no. no. It, 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 without this performance, that's why it's the most valuable. Without this performance, the movie is doesn't work. Doesn't work at all. So yeah, that is the one and only choice for MVP. All right, stats and accolades of big. Release date was June 3rd, 1988. On a budget of $18 million, opening weekend it would make $8.2 million was good for number two at the box office for that week. Uh, number one that week was Crocodile Dundee 2, which was in its second week, <laughs> believe it or not. Okay, uh, yeah. Big actually never hit number one at the box office. Two was the highest that it that it, um, that it hit. So domestically, it would go on to make 115 Two million, which made Penny Marshall the first female director to have a film hit $100 million, and then worldwide, $151.9 million. 
Uh, so it, uh, yeah, it was uh, absolutely a hit despite not reaching number one uh, for each week. It was, you know, was definitely a hit. It was a consistent player though at the box office. Correct. Um, yeah. And it, for the year it finished number four. So uh, definitely a hit at the box office and on home video sales. It was a big, big hit on VHS sales. Uh, the tagline when they were selling the movie, <laughs> okay. have you ever had a really big secret? Oh God, that's so lazy. It's awful. Oh my God. And man, we got it. Look, though, you got to check out. This is the classic 80s trailer, man. Here we go. I have a really big gob of mustard, right? right. What? Tom Hanks is all the man she has ever wanted. He's never gone out with someone like you. Come on, it's fun. But he's got a really big secret. He may look like a grown up. I'm a child, Susan. You think that there is an upright kid inside of me, too? But all he is is big. Tom Hanks. It's a glow-in-the-dark compass room. Big. Starts Friday, June 3rd at a Cineplex Odeon and other selected theaters near you. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Runtime, one hour and 44 minutes. So under two hours, attributes to the high replay value. Oh, I forgot to show you, man. We were talking the movie and the tickets. Got my Zoltar Speaks ticket right oh, here. Oh, wow. Yeah, nice. man. Very cool. They got, they got one out there. Oh, the it, it doesn't just say your wish is granted? No, nah, it's got some other bullshit. Oh, it says cool. your fortune... You've been granted the card of the elephant. Okay. Yeah, so whatever that is. That's now it would be better if it just said your wish is granted. You're right. Yeah, for sure. Uh but that's like the legit Zoltar machine. I mean it well uh that they have now anyway, but it's the one uh they've got them spread throughout California. Uh rating PG, body count zero. Although we do have two characters uh argue off screen. We hear gunshot, but uh we got no confirmed kills. <laughs> there you go. So, okay. Right. Uh, not like Goonies where we see the body bags getting carried out here. There's there's no body, so I appreciate the, the attention to detail, Warren. Very good. Yeah, thank you. Uh F bombs, there's one. Fuck you. Surprising. PG. I mean the PG thirteen rating was established in nineteen eighty four. So this you know, film came out in This 88. is like the short list of PG movies. I think there's like less than like five or six that got an F-bomb in there with a PG rating. There's not very many. There's a small window. Maybe they got away with it because it was said by Billy, who is under 18, 15 or whatever. So I don't know. Oh, if this came out now, it's PG-13. Oh, Just from yeah. the, the story uh, and content yeah. and everything. Yeah. Absolutely, sure. Uh, scores of the film, Rotten Tomatoes, 97%. Cinema score A. Report card looks pretty good here. Uh, and Metacritic, 73. So a little bit of a dip, but good reviews, well-received. Uh, I mean, it was a commercial and critical hit. Awards of the film, two Oscar nominations, Best Actor and Best Screenplay uh, for Gary Ross and Ann Spielberg. Uh, of course, you know, I feel like uh, well-deserved in both of those. Um, I was trying to think of you know snubs, if there's anything that was maybe missed out on. I could potentially see a case for Elizabeth Perkins for Best Supporting Actress, uh, if she would have, you know, um, maybe I mean, she's, she's really good. It. I don't know. If she's she so give great. Her enough to do. Yeah, to, I w- wouldn't quite you'd be have to a look at the category that year. It's probably pretty competition. May have been pretty pretty competitive that year. It uh, usually is most say. years. So, I'd yeah. have to research that before I could speak on. I mean, I, Elizabeth Perkins is fantastic. She's great in everything, but I don't know if they gave her enough meat off the bone in this part to quite give her enough to, to warrant that. And give being her second film, it's hard to believe the studio is going to get behind and market an actor that. Mm. It's very rare they're going to do that. Uh, usually an actor has to have a bit of a track record or some kind of star wattage before the studio is going to spend. Because, man, it's ultimately now. I mean, they spend a lot of money marketing uh, those Oscar campaigns. 
The studio's got to endorse you to even get one of those usually. Unless you're just so fucking great. <laughs> you know, uh, you got to bypass that. Uh, they also had one Golden Globe win, uh, Best Actor, Hanks, and another 10 wins and 14 nominations. You, you could say uh, Penny Marshall, Best Director? Oh, you could. You could say that. Yeah, that might. Yeah, Actually, yeah, that'd, be, that'd be a good one to throw in there. Sure. And what about Best Picture? Um... I don't know. I mean, best if they picture. were doing ten nominations now, back then. Absolutely. Oh yeah, yeah. If they were doing it back then for sure. Yeah, this would be in the top yeah, ten. Big would have gotten thrown in there. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Music of the year for 1988. The Grammy record of the year was "Don't Worry, Be Happy" by Bobby McFerrin. Uh, however, that was only good for number 37 on the Billboard Hot 100. Number one, "Faith" by George Michael. Like we've heard that song a lot. We've done a lot of 88 movies. We have done a lot of 88 good, movies good, now that you mentioned good year that. For, good year for movies. So we've done four other films from 1988 uh, on, on the podcast so far. Beetlejuice, Die Hard. Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Who Framed yes. Roger Rabbit. I'm sorry. So this is our fourth. Big is the fourth film we've done. So yeah, great year for film. Yeah, and speaking of that, top of the box office, number one, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Wow, that was uh, I forgot that was number one. Holy number cow. one for the year. Uh, yeah. Coming to America, uh, it was number three. <sighs> Twins, number Future five. Future replay value film. Yeah, yeah oh, for great. sure. Uh, Crocodile Dundee 2, number six. Die Hard was seventh. Naked Gun was eighth. And Beetlejuice coming in at the in the top ten at number ten. Oh, nice. So, a lot of good movies that year. Oscar Best Picture winner, Rain Man, which was the uh, second uh, highest grossing film of the year. Starring Tom Cruise. The Razzie Worst Picture winner, Cocktail, starring Tom Cruise. <laughs> nah, man, that didn't deserve Razzie. That, that's not a bad film. We might eventually get around to Cocktail, man. I mean, Tom Cruise, man, a lot of his movies, uh, especially Risky Business, that's got yeah. a pretty high replay value. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, movie ticket price in 1988, $4.11 average. Adjusted for inflation, $8.70. So still pretty good, a pretty good bang for the buck. Time Person of the Year. Mikhail Gorbachev. World events of 1988. Uh, laser eye surgery is invented. The U.S. stealth bomber is revealed publicly. Crack appears in the United States for the first time. Prozac is introduced to the U.S. drug market. And McDonald's opened its 10,000th restaurant. All right. Best scenes and lines from Big uh, as always, tough to narrow it down. Let's start off with your runner-up, Warren. I always love how you lead off with me, you bastard. You got to put the pressure on me. Uh, <laughs> yeah, runner-up. Yeah, it man. Fuck, so many great scenes. Uh, in this age movie. before beauty. So, <laughs> okay. When he wakes up as a man. Oh, okay. I like that. Yeah, it's the first time we see Hanks. Uh, it's so truthful, so brilliantly acted. Uh, the double take in the mirror, checking himself out, you know, the scramble to get out of there. I even love it, you know, after the mom's like, y- y- your breakfast is ready, and he just kind of hesitates. Be right there! You know, it's, it's, it's just great. Uh, it's uh, it, it's a pitch-perfect uh, performance. Uh, the, it, Hanks gets off to a great start in that scene, and uh, I just think it's so so well acted. It's just, you, you, that scene is, cr- you got to stick the takeoff. That's what and, I was saying, yeah. And they, they do it there. Honey, I put out some clean clothes. Bring down your dungarees and stuff for the laundry, Okay. Okay. Getting a cold, Josh? No. Fine. He's got a cold. 
Rachel's gonna get a cold, I'm gonna get a cold, his father's gonna get a cold. Oh! One of the things that is very important is whenever you're establishing something like that is, you know, that first scene. And you have to believe Tom Hanks in that role or it's not going to work and he delivers. So great choice for a runner up. Yeah. Uh, mine is uh, Josh or Hanks, uh, Josh Baskin as Tom Hanks um, at the work party. Josh, glad you make it. I bet he gets another raise. Now that's what I call a tuxedo. I rented it. This is a real bow tie, though. I tied it myself. And that's why I was late. No, not at all. Uh, come on, let me show you around. Hey, this is Pastor. Hi. This is a guy from the meeting. Hi. Would you like a drink, a champagne, a glass of wine? No, no, just. Why not, dude? You on a wagon? No, I'm at a party. <laughs> He's got on his white tux. He's, everybody's laughing and he's kind of like discreetly trying to you know check his no fly. idea no idea uh but i, I want to highlight one part of that though uh it's because it's a lengthy set piece but whenever he's at the buffet table and he's and like he eats the little piece of the little corn uh corn of the cob thing you know he just uh he kind of chews it's it like a little corn snack he well he yeah. thinks it's uh, uh, corn on the cob and, and eats that's it like great. yeah it's great and i think he improv that that wasn't in the script oh really okay wow uh but also, like, whenever he's dipping something, he just, like, dip, bite, dip, bite, dip, bite. You know, and just over and over again. Like, that's that's what my kids do. I mean, you It's know, a double dip. Not supposed to do that. Oh, it's beyond a double dip. It's like a quintuple dip, a septuple dip. I mean, he goes in there, like, seven or eight times. Yeah, that's it's great. It, yeah. Uh, it's, it's, I love that scene. Uh, all right. What is your winner? Man, it's the most iconic. Yeah, I've wrestled with whether or not to pick it, but yep. it has to be the has winner. Be. It's the piano dance yep. scene. Yep, absolutely. Mine too. We matched up. What? Did we just become best friends? Yep. It is a lose yourself in a movie moment. It's it's movie magic. It's it's what it's all about, man. It's it's great. Yes, I mean it, it is an incredibly iconic scene. Every time I watch the film, I just get enamored with that scene. I mean, I, I, I remember how I felt the first time I watched the movie when I watched that moment. Robert Loge and Hanks are both great. I mean, it sets up the believable career path that you know Josh takes after that, getting the VP role, because it's all about who you know. And of course, Absolutely. something I was just like going to say, it's all about relationships. Yep. And uh, that's how he's able to kind of leapfrog Paul Davenport. Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, and it's just shot well. <laughs> I love it even before they start dancing. He's like, uh, what are you here with your kids? And he's like laying on the ground playing dead. And he just like jumps up kind of embarrassed. He's like, uh, no, I'm just, you know, I'm looking around. <laughs> But that ends up in him being honest. He's like, yeah, me too. I come here every Saturday. And it's like he's in right there. Boom. You know? He's like, what, what, what's a marketing report? He's like, exactly. You know, he thinks, yeah, he's like, uh, he's like, you play piano? Yeah, three years. Because even though he's a kid at 12, he could play, like, you could say you play piano for three years. Yeah, sure. Yeah. It doesn't matter, you know, so that he, it's like these little Everything things. kind of checks out when he's being truthful exactly. uh, in those moments. Yeah. 
And I love it. The great. He also sees how valuable he is. There's moments where he's like giving him honest feedback about why the toys aren't good anymore, and it used to be this, and I don't know why they changed it, you know. And it's like he could see Lowe's just like, wow, this guy knows his shit. Like, there's a lot of great moments. Again, not exposition. What I love, show us, and it's shown in those moments, and it does a lot of character building and, and, and tells us a lot of what we need to know. And then it builds up though to the the piano duet and that's well, what yeah, the, yeah. yeah that's what sells it that's what we're picking i just like the lead up to it right the lead up because the, that, whole, that, the whole toy story sequence <laughs> the whole toy story scene in fa what fao schwartz is just it's unbelievable so i have a couple honorable mentions here uh try to narrow them down uh one is uh josh and susan's first uh, you want to say date which is after the party where they go back to his apartment jump on the trampoline and you know she she starts to warm up and and kind of open you know, open up a, a pl- more playful her her own. So, so are uh, you picking the them at the apartment or them in the on the way? I'm picking them in the apartment. Okay, okay, okay. Them in the yeah. apartment. Uh, actually, in the apartment, and then him kind of, you know, you know, she she's seeing that he's actually really like this, and you know, eventually she does kind of she, you know, doesn't want to get on the trampoline. I love the at look first. on her face when she's looking at his apartment. She's like, "You live here? You live here?" Nice, isn't it? Yeah. You uh, want soda? Huh? <laughs> There's just so much shit everywhere. Yeah. Which I want to call out. It's like, why does Josh have bunk beds? You know, I get his friend comes over, but like he doesn't have a brother. Why does he have bunk beds in his actual house? It doesn't really make sense. But anyway, it might be a thing where it doesn't make him feel as alone, or maybe. Maybe Billy comes over all the time and just sleep. I don't know, but it just kind of striking to me that and an, it's you know it only not he's not he has a younger sister I know, but like there's no reason for him to have a bunk bed. You know, anyway. You would think he would have a huge like California King, like a no ma- kid. A huge, oh my god, no, no, no kid. You think he would have just a huge water bed he could jump on? You oh, know you're I mean? saying like, when yeah. he's when he's adult basking. Yeah. yeah, when he's adult yes. basking, when he has that apartment, you would think he would just have like a 20-foot water bed like the trampoline that he could just jump on, uh, lay on, and do whatever. Interesting. No, I Now I know what you would do in, <laughs> in that situation. I'm Paul Davenport, baby. Oh, God. It's my guy. Team Davenport. Team of one. <laughs> uh, and then my, my last honorable mention here is when Josh gets his first paycheck. Ferris. Thank you. Brennan. Baskin. What is this? Payday. Hey, whoa, where's mine? $187? Yeah. Oh, fuck! They really screw you, don't they? Oh, that's a line. No, it's not. It's more the exchange um, between him and Scotty Brennan. Yeah, I love it. Love John because John Lovitz takes it the uh, opposite way in which uh, yeah, Hanks they really shaft does. He's like, yeah, they really stick it to you, don't they? But, yeah. but Hanks is like one hundred eighty-seven dollars. Like we're gonna have a great week, and then you cut to him like going to the bank, cashing it. All right, what uh, what honorable mentions did you have? Uh, honorable mentions. Um, when they're talking on the walkie-talkies, Josh and Billy, uh, and it's at the very beginning where they're establishing the friendship. It's before Hanks is in the picture. It's a kid, Josh, uh, and, and Josh and Billy hanging out. So, will you tell me? You're in. What do you mean, I'm in? Cynthia Benson. What about her? You ready for this? She doesn't like Barry anymore. So? So what do you mean, so? That's it. She's available. Billy. It doesn't mean... 
Hey, it's after midnight. Now say goodnight to Billy. Goodnight, Billy. I gotta go. Good night, Mrs. Baskin! <laughs> Sweet dreams. The reason I gotta give that scene a shout-out is the 80s and 90s movies had a, showed kids using walkie-talkies a lot, specifically, mm. like, in their bedrooms, or they'd have, like, the cups on a string where they would, like, have a sophisticated communication system. I always loved seeing that as a kid in those movies. Like so, Three Ninjas, I, they had it. Yeah, there. yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. So I kind of got to give... Uh, I always love kids communicating uh, through, you know, sophisticated means. It's kind of Yeah, cool. I, I love that about Stranger Things, too. Like, the kids always have their walkies, too. Yeah, they got the walkies. Or even, uh, what, the Monster Squad, they had the walkies. Oh, um, uh, yeah, nice, yeah. The limo ride on the way to the apartment. See, it's hard in a business situation. I, I mean, there's there's this invisible line, and, and uh, even if even if you're attracted to someone, are you gonna call someone before? No. Uh, I mean, at this point in my life, I, don't. Don't, don't play with the Leave me, uh, don't, no. I'm really vulnerable right now. You know, and I, I mean, I love my job. And, and I, Eject your seat! And this is what a kid would act like. I kind of mentioned it earlier, mentioned Hank's performance, how truthful it was. He's playing with all the buttons. She's trying to have a meaningful conversation about like her life and what she wants out of it. You know, like a typical adult would do, trying to make a connection. Hank's his basket ain't having none of that. He's fucking switching buttons, playing with the lights, and he jumps out on the sunroof, and he's like sticking out of it. <laughs> I mean, it's great. I love all that. It's just a showcase scene for Hank's. I just... He's just so connected to the circumstance and what's going on. And it just further sells uh, his performance even more. Now, that's a good one because you go from the party, which is great, the limo ride, which is great, to them being in the apartment together. I mean, all three of those, boom, 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 great scenes. Very high replay value in that particular sequence of the film. Uh, when Josh is rising up in the company, all that stuff's great. Uh, and then my last honorable mention is when Josh is alone in the hotel room in New York. This is one of the rare dramatic kind of scenes where it's played straight, no comedy. And they could have played it comedically, and they don't. Hanks plays it straight. You needed that. This film has the right balance uh, uh, to kind of show... Hey man, you, he is an adult in the adult world, and that is that kind of can be scary. And we empathize with Josh a little bit, you know. We we want him to do well, and you know, it's obviously not that type of movie, but it's important to establish, you know, the realities of the situation. And the film does that. Otherwise, it just would have probably been a little too much sugar, not a, not, not enough spice. You need a little spice. In it. No, that, that, that's great, and um, I'm glad you mentioned that one because, yeah, a kid being by themselves in that type of room Scary in New York, shit, man. hearing everything going on, yeah, I mean, you would yeah, you would want your mom and you would kind of fall up in a fetal position and cry. One of those scenes where you have to, you know, we talked about having Hanks being so good at having both sides of it, the, the childlike wonder and then the... And then the drama, you know, he he, yeah. the, him being able to to, to nail both sides of it. Uh, this is one of the key scenes where that's required. Yeah, I mean, an adult would be like, "Hey, shut the fuck up, keep it down," you know. But he's scared, you know. So it just kind of shows the, uh, the, you know, the difference there. But, but the funny thing is the the juxtaposition to where it shows him like a few nights later. He's like, 
watching uh, a movie, eating Oreos, and he hears gunshots in the film, and then gunshots in real life. He's like, eh, whatever. He's used to it. He's kind of adapted to his circumstances. Yeah. That is kind of great, yeah. All right, moving on to our best lines. Uh, keep it going. What's your runner-up? Uh, when they're going into the apartment, and uh, she says, I'm not sure we should do this yet. Do what? Well, I mean, I like you, and I... Uh, I want to spend the night with you. Do you mean sleep over? Well, yeah. <laughs> okay. But I get to be on top. That was also my runner-up for best oh, line. Oh, man, match-up. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Again? What? Did we just become best friends? Yep. <laughs> It's that exchange there because you have to include the exchange because it's the buildup to the line. It makes the line pay off better if you have the slight little buildup exchange to it. So even though it's a line, we you almost play the scene there, the little mi- uh-huh. mini scene, because you need the exchange to build up the line. Right, because the way he delivers it is okay, you know, just like well, yeah, sure, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. All right, well, what's your winner? Uh, my winner is the uh, I don't get it exchange. Damn it, man. That's my winner as well. Holy fuck. I can't believe it. Double matchup there. Wow. Again? What? Did we just become best friends? Not just a friend. A partner. Yes? I don't get it. (laughs) What exactly don't you get? Of course he doesn't get it. (laughs) But it's moments like these that could take you out of the movie if it's not executed very well. And it just speaks to how well the film is written and how well the film is acted, how well the film is directed. Uh, It's craftsmanship uh, all the way across, and it's very well done. And and this is one of those uh, examples of it there. One of the many. And those four words get a callback. I mean, of course, you know, Paul just can't get over it. He's just obsessed with him calling out saying, I don't get it. He brings it back up in a later pitch meeting, so it kind of comes a full the circle. Loja right? even's like, Paul, what the fuck? Like, so yeah. he could tell he's being a dick, so it doesn't yeah. really land with the same punch. Of course As not. where when uh, Baskins is saying it, it's like people really don't get it. All right. Honorable mentions for me, I'll kick them off. Um, I had um, between Billy and Josh, he says, I'm your best friend. What's more important than that, huh? One of the more meaningful ones. Okay. And that's why I picked it. It is one of the more meaningful ones where it does come back to that. I mean, Billy is kind of becomes somewhat of a minor character. forgotten about there in the uh, uh, end of the second act. Right. But he's fighting to get his best friend back this entire time, uh, whereas Josh is going in another direction. Uh, so yeah, I did want did did want to include that one. Now hold on, here's the thing: Would you, Josh, still wants to go live? Well, no, you don't want to skip your teenage, and you want to live those years. As I was gonna say, if the condition is you get to stay that age forever, do you stay there? You just stay thirty. That's, I mean, uh, I mean, you know, I feel like you know, eventually, you know, is, does he age from that point? Because then you're getting gypped. Uh, then you're skipping. You're getting gypped out of like 17, 18 years. Yeah, no, you you go back to the your child for sure, absolutely, yeah, for sure. Every time. I think everybody would rather, instead of skipping ahead in life, you'd much rather just go back and replay situations. <laughs> with the with the knowledge that you have today. Yeah. Exactly. I think that that, that premise is more attractive. Have the sports almanac, you know. And yeah, I don't, yeah no one wants to jump ahead. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then I have uh, here is an exchange between Paul and Susan. 
<laughs> where Paul says, What is so special about Baskin? He's a grown-up. <laughs> <laughs> that is good. Great writing. Not a grown-up, but anyway. Yeah, that's no, so good. Uh, it's very good. Uh, okay, uh, that was it for me, actually. What did you have? Man, how did you not mention this? The shimmy shimmy song, man. Uh, shimmy okay. shimmy bang bang shimmy shimmy. Bang. Yeah, that that whole whole bit is that's great. Good. And they say it a couple of different times, but that ultimately is Baskin saving Grace because that's how he proves to Billy who he really is. The space goes down, down, baby, down, down the roller coaster. Sweet, sweet, baby, sweet, sweet, don't let me go. Shimmy, shimmy, cocoa bop, shimmy, shimmy, rock. Shimmy, shimmy, cocoa bop, shimmy, shimmy, rock. I'm at a girlfriend, a tusket. She said a tusket, a biscuit, ice cream, soda, pop, vanilla, on the top. Ooh, Shalita, walking down the street, ten times a week. I'm in, I said it, I stole my mama's credit. I'm cool, I'm hot, suck you in the stomach three more times. Which kind of goes to show that your best friend knows you better than your parents do. Yeah. Because I mean, you can say all the things to try to convince I, you know, that convince his mom that he was. Well, actually, I don't think the mom, she's in any condition to really listen to. Him. Oh, she's, of course she's not. Shock but is just. Completely but I mean, taken but over. even Billy was shocked first at two. But he was once he started doing that, like that was like there was nothing like that where he could say to his mom and yeah, as an adult, she would never be able to grasp that and and, and accept that's, it. No, that's fair. Yeah. Good point. Uh, another honorable mention is uh, is when uh, it's Lovitz, man. It's uh, between him and Hates. He's like, see that girl over there? See that girl over there in the red? Say hi to her and she's yours. She'll wrap her legs around you so tight you'll be begging for mercy. Well, I'll stay away from her then. <laughs> what the, that's a good one. I should have had that because the look Lovitz gives him after that's like, what the hell? <laughs> what is wrong with this guy? Well, either that. Okay, so there's a lot of different ways you could take that moment. Either he's like, what is he talking about, loser? Or he doesn't know what he's missing. Or it could be like, okay, well, he's got better taste than me. Jeez, I'm maybe. Geez, Let me reevaluate my life choices. Exactly. He needs to reevaluate his life decisions. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would say it's the former. I think that he, uh, he he's like, what's wrong with this guy? But anyway, that's just okay. me. Uh, and then my last honorable mention is between Davenport and Baskin when they're playing racquetball. As well, it's before, and it's like and they're arguing, kind of. Uh, it's not a heated one. It's just more of a friendly debate, I think, at this point. Not but friendly. Just not friendly, but bit, it's just yeah. more of a debate. He's just like, Would you rather play basketball? I know how to play that. We could be like a team for the McMillan Company. No. I'm not very good at sports, but I'll give it a try. My best sport is video hockey. That isn't a sport. Well, it takes out-of-hand coordination. It's not a sport if you don't sweat. Well, what about golf? You don't sweat? That's a sport. Yeah, and you're not sitting there letting some machine do all the work. What about car racing? Oh, shut up. Basket. <laughs> but like there's this whole example like he's like well it's what not about a, golf uh, what about this yeah yeah, yeah 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 there's a few really good examples where basket just fires right back out and proves that davenport doesn't really know what the hell he's talking well, about and it's almost like a kid talking to their parent it's just like why why this why that and it's just like yeah, jesus yeah, christ yeah, exactly. shut up and shut listen to what i tell up. you yeah exactly moving on to judge bob's recasting court where Warren and I recast the film with today's stars. All rise for the Honorable Judge Bob presiding. Gentlemen, you may be seated. Recasting court is in session. Glad to have you back. Yeah, that's real genuine. I, I don't believe you at all. L- like we never left. <laughs> Glad to have you back. Suck it, turd <laughs> nuggets. Thanks, um, man. Really, really felt like if there was ever a time to mail it in with Stranger Things cast, this was going to be the movie. But according to these notes, you guys, uh, you didn't do that. Almost did. I, I don't know if I'm like 
proud of you or disappointed, um, but we'll figure it out as the castings get revealed, no doubt. That being said, I've looked at the notes. Tonight, we're going to hear a recasting for Billy, Paul, Macmillan, Susan, and Josh. Should we need a tiebreaker? It's going to go to Billy. So, that being said... Wow. I know, I know. Warren, I believe the honors, the odds, the whole thing is in your court. Yes, I'm still basking in my victory. Yes, thank you. Two Pete, um, going for three. Uh, Josh's BFF. uh, You need an actor who's going to make the friendship believable. It's critical to the movie working. Um, Okay, so look, I'm just going to put my cards on the table with Billy. Uh, A couple episodes ago, I told you I Googled actors that were 13. I got three of them. Yeah, uh, I've used two <laughs> of the three already, so this is my one left. Roman Griffin Davis is my Billy. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is a very difficult role to recast. You know, you you add it, you put it at like in the 16, 17, 18 year range, and I think it becomes a little easier. I mean, most likely, realistically, you're getting an unknown uh, in this type of role. Uh, so I, I'm in the same predicament as Warren. I've used Roman Griffin Davis. Now, I, I, when I was originally thinking about <laughs> Hardy, this, I know I you're doing like, Jacob Tremblay. <laughs> shut up. That's all that's left. Yeah, that's all Jacob, that's left. Jacob Tremblay. <laughs> I did, but so I, I do want to call out some. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it, it is what it is. Um, so I did almost put in Gaten, Gaten Matarazzo from Shut Stranger up. Things. No, you did. Dustin. But he's 19. And like, yes, I know he like, has too like old. this. He, he so you is. almost like, played into the judge's pitfall. You literally almost played the Stranger Things hand. That's how that's I how did. tough this role is. You got yeah. You got he does have. I will say that Gaten has like a a kind of a childish exuberance to him, but he's also you can see him. He the, can the play. He plays requires, younger. He's eight, eighteen. He does. To play younger, but he's not playing thirteen. It's probably no. He's not playing 13. Yeah, yeah. I would say that. Right, this uh, this character is kind of the rebellious of the two. He's the more you know uh, rule breaker of the two. If there was one, I feel like he's kind of. Got a look that's a little bit more different. I think Jacob Tremblay is going to display that better. So, Phil. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Because when he goes around New York by himself, I mean, Roman Griffin Davis is kind of, there's like an innocent, too much of an innocence there, I think. you know. I think it's the other way around. I think Jacob Tremblay's got the, the innocence. More I so. think he would a couple years ago, but now you can see he's like capable of like kind of walking around New York by himself, kind of an independent, you know. He's more of a grown-up than, than Josh Baskin is. All right. He's three months older. But anyway. Fantastic. Paul, who do you got? Philly? Uh, Paul. Uh, so, you know, I love John Hurd. I mean, this for me, this was the most difficult role to recast in the film uh, as far as the names out there who could fit. Like, you know, he's got he's to gotta have the aspiring businessman side, but he's – like he's trying too hard. He's the this is the asshole. part I would play in this movie. Oh, a hundred percent, absolutely. Yes. You would actually no be great in this role. I, I know. Uh, another <laughs> role fuck. that you'd be great in probably would be Homelander in The Boys. I went with Anthony Starr fuck. for uh, for my uh, for my Paul. That's pretty good. Yeah, a, a classic movie asshole. I mean, yeah. the closest thing to the uh, an antagonist that we have. But you know, I gotta say, I, I watched the movie this last time. I think Paul's making a lot of good points. I don't think he's that big of a dick. <laughs> no, Look, you should his job that he worked his ass off for is going to this Paul kid. Now. 
No, listen, the job he's worked his ass off for, he is the superstar salesperson there. Some nobody just shows up, and in a month he's getting the VP job. He busted it. No, look, I understand why he's a little upset. I I, I, I tend to, uh, I think I'm empathizing a little bit with Paul Davenport here. Yeah, you're, um, not, you're not wrong. Now, uh, I'm just saying I see where he's coming from. He's sure. not. He's, 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 I don't backpedal on it. Own it. He's yeah, got a point. Right. Uh, yeah. Um, thought of Adam Brody. Adam Brody. Okay. That's good. I like that. Yeah. Sterling K. Brown. But I went with Jesse Eisenberg. Jesse Eisenberg. Okay. Played kind of the smart, uh, smarmy side. Smarmy? Uh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, just being a smart ass, uh, I think he'd be really great at that, and uh, would really uh, have some great um, uh, back and forth with uh, with Baskin. Mm, interesting, particularly when they're playing racquetball and a lot of those uh, <laughs> activities. Give me the I was, ball. I was, I was really, really expecting John Ham out of you. John Ham. Uh, I can yeah. see him. I, I can see him. Ham's almost McMillan at this point. I mean, he's closer to McMillan. <laughs> well, he he plays. He he could he could play a, the, in 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 the ballpark of yeah. I could I can see Ham's not bad. He exudes a power that I just. It's hard to see him in a company where he's not in charge. John Ham is mm. going to be. He's going to be the top dingling. <laughs> I don't. We're old enough now. <laughs> Great. Um, Anthony Starr is going to take this one. God damn it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Eisenberg, not bad, but, you know, Warren, just not not quite specific enough. Dude, I have a hard time not seeing Homelander in that part. You could see, I think he's going to take it a little too far as Star is as Davenport, which is going to fucking do go on the roof of the building, start jerking it. I mean, it's. <laughs> you, just, you just watch too much of the boys. You got to see him in other things. I fucking love the it's boys. Great. No, he's actually real. There's a first show he did as a lead. It's called Banshee. Yeah. It's on HBO Max. Fucking, he, he's great in it. He is. I yeah. just think Homelander, he's went up a couple levels. All right. McMillan, the lovable old man. Who do we have here, Phil? Yes, lovable, but at the same time, he's got to be. You know, he's definitely in charge. He's the owner, the leader of the company. Uh, but there, you know, there's a playfulness to him, whether it be with you know the walking piano with Josh, or you know trusting his gut to go with someone that you know clearly has a love for 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 where the the, the toys are coming, how they're designed, and where the company's going and whatnot. So, um, I went with Ed Harris because uh, I can see him achieving both sides of that i, I could man in black yeah <laughs> yeah yeah i mean so you have of course the serious side of ed harris but i can also see you know just saw him a top gun maverick as well he played yeah in one fucking scene and he's great at it though <laughs> i know but i mean i can't believe that harris was a top gun for like a scene or two yeah i mean it, of course ed harris i mean everyone knows who he is but i, I would love to see him kind of uh it, it a role that would do both sides of that hmm. phil not bad thank you warren what do you got uh, look, the the part is a disarmingly warm performance from some, an actor and a character that you perceive to be pretty powerful. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's it's an actor who has the range to be able to do that. I thought of none other than Brian Cox. Mm. Fucking Succession. I just finished the most recent season. He's terrific in it. And he's uh, one of the uh, handful of actors that I actually had the pleasure of seeing on Broadway in New York. He was great in that play. Um, big Brian Cox fan. I got my season tickets. And uh, I probably, uh, only regret I have is I don't use him enough in this show. He's perfect as, in this part as McMillan. Mm. So I thought you were going to say Brian Cranston. Which yeah. I feel like he he would have been pretty good for that uh, for this role as well. I've used him this season already. I've already used him. Yeah, that was uh, an honorable mention for sure. I, I really could see that one coming out. Yeah, um, 
Uh, Brian Cox is going to take this one. It is. I, yes. Love it. Finally. I there there is a lovable character. But... I don't think Brian, Brian Cox is too intimidating. I mean, what does he got? No, succession that's exactly. Ed Harris is not intimidating. He is, but he's got that kind of. <laughs> no, bro. Brian Can you Cox... see Brian Cox dancing on the piano? Yes, yes Brian Cox Absolutely. has that kind of range. Absolutely. Brian Cox has played characters with a lot of warmth. I, you know what? He's even in my one of my favorite movies of all time. Remember, he plays Uncle Argyle in Braveheart. Fortissi got to learn that he was this. Then that I'll teach it. I use this. I mean, dude, he's fucking terrific. What was the movie he did with Johnny Knoxville? <laughs> Not the Ringer, is it? The Ringer, yes. He's a lovable uncle. Okay. <laughs> Brian Cox has done it all, man. He's look. He, uh, yeah, he's, right, he's yeah. so good. Anyway, I, I like the uh, the casting there. Um, that being said, Susan's a hard one. Hard one to recast. Yeah. A very a hard one to recast. Yeah. Uh, you guys had your work cut out. If any of these on the on the docket tonight, this one was, was easily the most difficult. Warren, who do you have cast for Susan? Uh, Josh's love interest, uh, executive, successful, hard charging, take no prisoners. We really see her soft side once she gets acquainted with Josh. I went with Kiki Palmer. Mm. I think she'd be great in this. Uh, you could see her in the executive role being very successful, but also having uh, being able to play the uh, the intimacy with Josh and just having that duality, being able to play play both notes at a, at a pretty high level. I, I could see her doing it in the part. Uh, yeah, great actress. I mean, very young executive, I would say. Um, you know, you do you do from the first scene that you get introduced to Susan. I mean, she's just like fire this person. This isn't good enough. You know, I mean, she's calling the shot. She's a boss. Um, I went with Tessa Thompson uh, because she has that side of it, but she also has like the guarded side that Susan has with fir- when she first uh, you know starts spending time with Josh. I don't want see uh, Tessa the- in the paw role, you know, dude. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, in some way they're cut from the same cloth just later, you know, the the, the 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 development of the of the Susan character, you get the warmer side and, and you get to get to see that. And I, I think Tessa would capture that very well. All right. Hear me out on this one. Okay, here we go. Go on. Emma Roberts. Come on, guys. Oh, your favorite. Come oh. on, guys. This is a spot. Haven't got to bring her up this year. This is her spot. That's not a bad that's not a bad choice for 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 her. That she actually would be would be pretty good in this, I think. It's not that's pretty good. Pretty good. This one, the range, everything. There's just so much. I, I love the Kiki Palmer on this one. So it's going to take. Yes, well done. Okay, I'm well still in the game. Well, yes. Are you kidding me? I you know what? I, I'll do. Let me just say one thing. Let me just She's say upcoming one thing. Nope. She looks really. I love the trailer to that. I think she. I think she's going to be great in that movie. I, I'm predicting Oscar nomination Kiki Palmer for Nope. Let me just say one thing. I don't get it. What? What is it? You don't get. I don't get it. <laughs> What's not to get, Baskin? <laughs> God, I should have played right. Paul. Fuck. Yeah, you should have. I right, play him in real life. You play him in real life. <laughs> yeah, I'm not getting paid for it though. All right. Um, Josh is. Uh, I, I don't know how you find. There's very few people in Hollywood. I think. <sighs> yeah, you're not today. Kidding, man. This is tough. If we go back ten years, I almost feel like Justin. John Ham. No, <laughs> I feel like I feel like ten years ago Justin Timberlake would almost be perfect for this. But there's, no there's way, a certain no way. He don't have the chops, man. Playfulness <laughs> that you've <laughs> got to have at all times. So you, 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 look, you got your work cut out. Yeah, no. Timberlake is a very good actor. He impressed the shit out of me in End Time. But at the same, look, this is a part that you have to have some craft as an actor to pull this shit off. You have to believably be playing a child in an adult body. That is very challenging. Hall task for any actor. 
and there's very few that could play it. Uh, Which is why you went with Joe Keery. <laughs> no, no, didn't even think of him. Uh, speaking, of, I did. We talked about the boys. I thought I, of him. Really? Oh my god, he would have been great. I did consider Jack Quaid from the boys. You, the boys, not yeah, bad. Um, not bad. I, I can but see that. That's that's you, good. Again, you, you got to go big here, man. I, I, I'm going. I'm going with Andrew Garfield. As my oh. Josh, I think he would be absolutely fucking terrific. I, tick, tick, boom. I've been watching Under the Banner of mm. Heaven. He, His range, he commits to his roles 120%, and you need that as an, in, an, in an actor uh, to, to, to be able to pull this off. They have to fully commit to the part like Hanks did. Garfield would do that. He would be a, an honorable successor to the part. So with that character, you have to have the – you have to be able to – capture the essence of of what it would be like being a child you know mm-hmm. whether it be playing with the toys and not looking like a grown-up playing with toys look like a, how a kid would play it's with in their the toys. behavior not your appearance necessarily and you you have to believe the actor has the ability to convincingly do that behavior that's superlative oh, at a high it's level the, it's the innocence like yeah like the first time you ever saw a yo-yo you know how do you do that? So you have to have the childlike exuberance. You have to be able to capture that. But at the same time, there is some very big emotional heavyweight scenes that you have to be able to nail as well. Yeah. A lot of range required. There was only one name, and it is Andrew Garfield. We matched up on this one. Again? What? Did we just become best friends? Not just a friend. A partner. Snoochie boochies. <laughs> The way that the cookie crumbles with the tiebreaker being on uh, child actors and Phil with yes. his arsenal of yes. uh, go on, you know, child actors from all the kid movies that he watches. Oh God, Philly, where yeah. to pull one off? Stop Philly that. securing the win with Billy. I am a golden god. Gentlemen, recasting court is adjourned. All right, fan theory time. So I will have to give credit to uh, The Ringer. I uh, wrote a great article talking about, quite lengthy article talking about a, a, a different way to look at this movie. So this is almost like less of a th- fan theory and more of an interpretation of how the story really is. So, you know, the, the film follows Josh Baskin, of course. I mean, it's a very linear story. It's the story of Josh becoming big. You know, we, everything we know, what we've seen. But there's another angle of the film, and this article calls out how Big is actually a horror movie for the mom character, for Mrs. Baskin. And you think about it, and, and, you know, she doesn't get a lot of screen time, and probably for good reason, because it would just be traumatic to show what she's going through. Uh, so let's start at the beginning of the film when Josh, after Va- Josh first turns uh, Big. He comes back, and she's just, you know, vacuuming just another day turns horribly wrong a strange man that is wearing her son's underwear no less <laughs> shows up at the house yeah. knows his birthmark locations i mean josh absolutely could not have said anything worse or gone about it a worse way than, than doing that because you also think she found his ripped pajamas and she's like what does he do at night i mean that is i mean the, the situation scenarios running through her head just again horrible stuff uh, then you have the phone okay. call. You have a phone call. The phone call's fucked up. Is very. It, he should not have even done that, man. I just don't think he realized what you know, really, what he was doing. He just wanted to talk to his mom, try to uh, you know, 
kind of put her some of her fears at ease had the opposite effect of course so that was i think you know what you do Hmm. you make another attempt to try to convince her like you did billy she's calmed down maybe a little bit now maybe she's a little more receptive to the idea okay my son's disappeared out of nowhere with no explanation she might be a little more open-minded to what he has to say versus when you know she's vacuuming and you know it's just too shocking at that moment to really process anything i think you make another step well he's a fucking kid though you know but i i'm just saying but you make another stab at trying to explain it to her if you could go back that's what you do you don't want her thinking you're fucking kidnapped jesus christ yeah but i mean realistically what what other choices do you have there's no way an adult would accept that i would never accept that ever i don't care what evidence i saw i would never ever accept that don't care um and then it all kind of you know comes to a head at the end you don't see this the film conveniently ends but Young Josh. Well, hold on, if it really happened and it's really somebody in there, there's a way to convince you. There's a way they can prove it. A DNA test, that would be it. I'd have to see that from that that point. So that would be the well, only way. You can way. do it. It would work. It's him as a grown person. Yeah. Uh, but when young Josh returns, wearing a grown man's suit, pr- you, know, you know, probably a grown man's underwear, you know, everything like that. It's just like, and then the movie just ends. You don't, she's, of course, happy he comes back, but. There's got to be questions that come. Yeah, it's very convenient that the film just kind of yes. pans out on the uh, on the crane shot lifting above the neighborhood as we don't get to see how the mom reacts to this situation. Another potential Oscar for Mercedes there. <laughs> yeah, so, a nomination. So the fan theory is big is really a horror movie, at least for the mom. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it definitely could have been. I mean, it's all about interpretation and, and how they executed the script. I mean, they and what they actually ended up showing on screen. Exactly. <laughs> And we'll close out the episode discussing the legacy of Big. Man, um, talking about this movie, no sequels, not really a franchise, uh, which is a rarity uh, with films. It feels like any hit, they somehow find a way to monetize it and keep it going. I'm surprised they haven't rebooted it or remade this. Uh, not the easiest movie to remake. Now, I mean, let's face it, this movie created a subgenre of ripoffs where, I mean, this movie was so successful with this genre, such a critical and commercial smash that it, so many studios have attempted to recreate, rehash, do variations of big. Just, I mean, it's just been replayed and replayed and replayed. What you got like, um, well, I'd say some of the better ones is probably a Freaky Friday, yep. uh, 13, 13 Going on 30 with Jennifer Garner. Uh, well, Freaky Friday's got Jamie Lee Curtis. Uh, uh, 17 again. I personally like that one. Those are some of my favorites of the... I would say Big is probably the best of its genre, though. It's got to be ranked number one in terms of the age reversal, mm-hmm. uh, body swap uh, comedy picture. Well, I think now what you see, because Big has set such... I mean, it's just kind of... It defines the genre in the... Uh, not the age reversal, but the kind of like aging up. Like, you can't... You can't redo that. I mean, there were some remakes, reinterpretations in the Indian film market in 2004, 2009. Uh, but I think now it's you, you have people trying to, to you know, film studios trying to do it in reverse. Like you had the film Little, you know, creatively. Literally enough. a reverse on the title and, and the situation. It was a complete reverse. Yeah, that came out in 2019, had uh, Issa Rae, uh, Marseille Martin, Regina King. Uh, where yeah, it does it does flip. I watched it. it. It's enjoyable. You know, look, a lot of those movies were good. They're enjoyable, uh, but I don't think any of them quite got to where Big got to. I just feel like no. they're just not quite there. Uh, I think I think Big is uh, it's seriously with its, its subgenre of comedy. It's it's I think it's it's at the the mountaintop by itself. 
Yeah. It's surprising though, that there's been no official remakes or spinoff sequels or anything. There was a pilot developed for CBS in 1990 did not get picked up, which is just kind of crazy that that didn't actually must've. They had a, a, a Broadway musical, the big, which opened in 1996 yes. ran for 193 performances. and was nominated for some uh, Tony awards. Yeah. Five Tony uh, nominations. Uh, so that was, Surprisingly, uh, including best book and I think best musical score. So I mean, some some big ones out there. So uh, I, I listened to it. I had some good tunes on there. So I mean, just again, I'm always surprised when you know successful films make this shift to Broadway and they actually do pretty good, like Mean Girls. Uh, well, yeah, right now I think uh, Beetlejuice is running. You got Lion yep. King, Aladdin. Uh, yep. Those are just some movie reiterations that are running on Broadway right now. Trying to decide if I want to go see Beetlejuice in a couple months. Yeah, I would say anything you can do it. Yeah. But, uh, and then there was a, a remake, a TV remake that Fox announced in 2014, but uh, nothing substantial that ever happened with it. And I've not heard anything since. Spoofs, uh, just a couple uh, that I love. Uh, SNL, uh, actually 1988, the year this came out, they had big outtakes with Tom Hanks on SNL. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> I love Tom Hanks is such a great host. I mean, he's just game for anything. He's it's, so good on SNL. Yeah, he's great. Yeah, um, even had that hit a couple years ago with the Halloween uh, pumpkin character. David S. Pumpkins. Yeah, it yeah, was like David that was pumpkins, like seven yeah. years ago. Now it's been a long. T- it's been a surprisingly. But long that, time. I'm just saying, even though, but I mean, he has. But he's had a storied legacy at SNL. Yes. Where it's like over different decades, he's had really big viral uh, uh, skits. Uh, the Simpsons. <laughs> they had a bit where Homer does the piano dance. <laughs> <laughs> I think the piano dance, yeah, is the is is the one of the that and the Zoltar machine because it's so Guy iconic. Spoofed the Zoltar machine, which Zoltar was actually called Zoltan back in the six the nineteen sixties, and they changed the one letter for the film, and now that version has since been trademarked and is the one that everybody knows, and that you can actually see them. In some places, the aforementioned. Well, yeah, it's like uh, yeah, like the one I said. The one there's one in uh, Los Angeles on the yeah. Venice Boardwalk uh, that you can that you can go to. Yeah, that's the one. That's the only one I've ever seen. Uh, we went to when I, I told you we took the kids to Wonderworks uh, down in Florida that had the walking piano. I also had a Zoltar Speaks machine there as well in the lobby. Zoltar the Magnificent. So I do want to call out one thing in the film. It's mainly because it was made in 1988 that doesn't work today. I think computers get shit on in this film a lot. Like, you know, Josh picks them up very quick because he's a kid. I do like that angle of it, but they're almost discounted. Like, it's like, oh, computers, you don't want to work that. You don't want to do this. Are you sure? Like, even McMillan is kind of like, kind of turns his nose up at it as like being like a, a good place to be. Whereas now it's, of course, taken over mm-hmm. uh, every every job in a in a company like Macmillan toys would be done with a computer. Uh, so it just kind of interesting how that's aged poorly. Um, uh, but I, I would say that uh, as far as like some of the, the toys and what interests kids, that's of course changed quite a bit since the eighties, but for the most part, it's still a great watch. Yeah. Wow. I, yeah, I don't have anything on plot holes. I, I mean, Again, I mean, they spent three years developing it. The, I think the script's really well written. It's tightly constructed film, well directed by Penny Marshall. I think every scene is there for a purpose, and uh, I I think it's a beautiful film. Leave it as it is. I got, I got no complaints. Yeah, maybe today it would be a, since Josh Baskin decided to use his real name with a non real social security number. You know, I don't know how how 
how easily he's able to yeah. cash his paychecks. Uh, you missed a couple numbers in your social security. Uh, 12. And he just like flips the pin and like, yeah. Oh, one, two. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't know how he's cashing his checks with a you know, library card or whatever, you know, He'd need some sort of uh, – so that, I think there's some – No driver's license. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, yeah, it's kind of hard to believe that he's able to cash. And, look, he's getting serious money. So, I mean, he's in a multimillion-dollar apartment in New York. So how are you able to cash these you know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars he's making? Uh, yeah, he needs some docs. He needs some documents. Do they have direct deposit back then? I don't know. So <laughs> it would even know how to fill out the form. <laughs> I don't think so. No, they give him checks. All-time list, uh, AFI, 100 Years, 100 Laughs list, which is the top 100 comedies, big ranked 42nd. Okay. In the top 10 fantasy genre list of AFI, it ranked 10th. Also made uh, Bravo's 100 Funniest Movies, ranked 23rd, and it made Empire's 500 Greatest Movies of All Time list. Yeah, I mean, I, I absolutely deserving of all of those. And there's a bunch yeah. of lists. I mean, I'm just naming some of the, the highlighted ones. I mean, you know, AFI and Empire. I mean, when you have the combination, though, of being one of Hanks's best early in his career, great comedy, Penny Marshall, a lot of stars aligned to make this film that, you know, as great as it is, and it's no surprise it's on those lists. Messages, life lessons of uh, Big. Well, you, you have any you, would, you say you get from the film? Yeah, I mean, I would say enjoy being a kid when you can. Uh, I mean, oftentimes you, you look back on it and, um, you know, when you're a kid, you can't wait to be an adult, and it's the biggest mistake you could ever make. You know, so stupid. You yeah. ever go back, and be like, man, chill the fuck out, and enjoy it. Uh, be happy with who you are. I think really kind yeah. of plays on what you're saying. Where you are, when you are, as you are. Don't want to skip anything. You know, just uh, like if anything, I like if we talked about. I'm more in favor of replaying. Let me let me let me just uh, take it a few years back here. That would be awesome. Uh, I'm I'm all for that. Well, and also, I would say even from the Paul character perspective, you know, don't compare yourself to others. Uh, you know, you know, you're, you're, you know, don't look at yourself. Don't look at your chapter 13 and compare it to someone else's chapter 16 or, uh, you know, yeah. what have you. I mean, yeah, be Paul, grateful, be yeah. grateful for, you know, you know, Paul could have very easily handled that his situation differently. And uh, as well as, hey, you, you know, fucking leave Paul alone. Man. <laughs> oh, here we go. A tough hand. Man. Now, uh, the, the connection to the character is real. OK, shut the fuck up. Maybe I'm saying, maybe, man, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm saying, <laughs> but, uh, the more I watch it, I'm saying Paul is uh, guys making a lot of good points. Well, you know, so I'm saying not he could still have a perspective uh, that it could be a, a, in the right. But I think the way he, he handles over, it. But yeah. yeah. Uh, way he handles it though. Well, no, even he's a gentleman. Uh, to, even though he's kind of a dick, okay. but when she, you know, when she charges in and she's like, "I want my keys back," he's like, "Okay." <laughs> he just gives it to her like he's cool, man. He does, yeah. He's not like a fucking dick about anything. I'm mean, he is a dick about stuff. But I'm saying in that moment, he's like, he's not a bad guy. He's like, "All right, take him." Okay, sorry. Just jealous, frustrated, but there's no like true malice there. Yeah, he's not like a bad bad he guy. Want, he doesn't so want to back hurt the fuck anybody. off, Paul. Exactly. All right, all right, fine. All right. Uh, and I think another uh, message or lesson, uh, don't forget about your friends, man. Uh, yeah, you know, definitely. Do what you love. I mean, he's fucking lucky as shit of all the jobs he gets. He gets a job where he gets to executive at a toy company. I mean, he didn't get much better than that. His office, he just sits there and plays with toys and gives feedback. I mean, God damn, it's amazing. So, yeah, I mean, I would say, you know, look beyond your own selfish inclinations and, you know, think about your family, your friends, and the people that care and care about and love you, too. All right, double feature film that you would pair this with are you watching big and you know, what, what, what are you watching before or after what are you what are you pairing with it bonfire of the vanities 
Oh, God, you're not. No, kidding, you're not. Oh, Jesus. Kidding. Okay, uh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, Bruce Willis and Hank's pretty fucking good. I mean, <laughs> it's great to see them together. It's just wish it was a better movie. Uh, the obvious one, I think, is 13 going on 30. Uh, uh, you would do another premise. film like this. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. So you could go that route. You could little. I love 17 again. So if you want to just kind of have a, those films are just great daytime movies to enjoy yourself. I could also pair this if you want to have a Penny Marshall day, right? I love to have my director double feature. So we could go League of Their Own and Big. And then you also get you also get Tom Hanks. You also yeah, get that's the, the double, direction that I went in. I went yeah. with uh, A League of Their Own and Big. That's the one. Yeah, that, I think that's the way to go because you yeah. get the 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 Penny Marshall, Tom Hanks, the two movies they did together. Mm. I could almost see it like you know just just to kind of be a nostalgic replay. Uh, you know, you go big. It's just comfort food. It's a great comfort comedy, big, and like Ferris Bueller's Day Off. You know, you do something like that as well. Oh, yeah. That, yeah, yeah they're not really related great. in any way other than that, you know, I just... They just feel good daytime 80s movies. I, like your day, Exactly. Like your, Ferris Bueller's very much a skip school, literally, and watch movie, and I feel like that th- this is as well. Yeah, each film has some version of that theme. One, you know, a teenager being able to do what you want. One, uh, essentially an adult doing whatever you want. But yeah, the theme resonates in both. And Rick Groen of the Globe and Mail summed it up best when he said, quote, sure, the premise is identical age reversal comedies, but this one uses a much higher octane, animating a tired idea with a timeless script, and the result is pop humor at its most appealing. Wit and charm spiced with a measured pence of farce and just the right hint of melancholy, unquote. That is going to do it for this episode of Replay Value. Thank you so much for listening. The Replay Value podcast is hosted by me, Philip Reinerson, and my brother, Warren Paul. Our recasting judge is Bob Thompson. Produced, edited, and directed by Waldo Pickles Productions and dedicated to our father, who we have to thank for our love of cinema. Please be sure to follow the podcast, and if you like what you hear, take the time to rate, review, and share with a friend. You can visit us on our website, replayvaluepod.com, and follow us on Twitter at replayvaluepod. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes every other Tuesday, and we'll see you then. Bye! This has been a Waldo Pickles production. 